All right. Great job, you guys. Thank you. Hey, good morning, City Live. Good to see you. Go ahead and grab a seat and a happy Memorial Day weekend. Good to see a few of you actually still got up to worship Jesus this weekend. So it is a holiday weekend. Uh, my name is Gavin. If I didn't say that, I serve our church as one of its uh, pastors. And uh, I do just want to pause and just recognize what Memorial Day means. Uh, some of you have lost members of your family uh, in active duty. And uh, this morning, I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to declare that Jesus is the only way to the Father. We are going to publicly say we will bow our knee to no one but King Jesus. No other king, no other leader. He is our ultimate leader and Lord, and we can do so with zero fear this morning. And uh, that freedom that we enjoyed to do that did not come free. That's more than a cliche. There really was a high price. And so today we just pause with a profound sense of gratitude and just enjoy this moment. And uh, we remember those who were lost. For those of you who lost loved ones, we want to uh, just express our sincere sympathy and appreciation for you and the cost that you have paid for this moment. Uh, So grab your Bibles now in the freedom that we do have. Let's head over to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to hit the first 10 verses or so this morning. And as you turn, let me say, I love to preach the Bible. I love to point our church family to Jesus. I love serving this church family. This is an absolute joy. And after this morning, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break, y'all. And so uh, the elders uh, some six months ago decided it would be good for Chris and I to each take turns every five, six, seven years to take a couple months off in the summer and just invest in our souls, make sure that we are calibrated to true north around Jesus, uh, invest in our families. And I said, Chris, you can go first. And he said, Gavin, we just had a baby. There is no rest to be had in our home. You go first. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So this This summer, uh, after I preach this, I'm going to take about six, eight weeks out of the pulpit and uh, just be focusing on my family. We're going to stay in town for the majority of that and uh, just create some family rhythms and hopefully some family memories and enjoy our time. I'm going to read some books. I'm going to build a deck on the back of my house because I enjoy working with my hands. And uh, in ministry, nothing is ever done or or complete, which is exhausting at times. That deck, it will be done and complete and plum and square if everything goes right. So that's really relaxing for me and rewarding. And so uh, this summer, I will be MIA for a little bit. I will miss you guys. Uh, Chris and Cameron and Phil and the rest of the crew will hold it down here. So I have a good feeling the church will actually get healthier in my absence. I think God likes to remind us we're not as important as we think we are. Amen? None of us. We are uh, all replaceable in many ways. And so uh, I am looking forward to that. Do pray for me and my family. My desire is that I would come back ready to swing for the fence for another seven years, plant a lot of churches, and uh, serve this church family faithfully. Someone after the last hour said, you're not leaving, are you? And I was like, my goodness, no, why would you think that? And so let me very explicitly say, I'm not going anywhere, okay? I'm not like applying for jobs or looking elsewhere, uh, unless San Diego calls. I'm just saying in February, that could be a temptation. But uh, just I wanted to be very explicit, not going anywhere. Want to make sure I have the energy to do this for another 30, 40 years if God would allow me to do it. Amen? If you'd have me, if you would have me. Okay. 
If you want to fire me, that's fine too. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll move on. I figured it's coming at some point. Uh, I want to preach a sermon out of Acts chapter 3 that I have titled, A Spirit-Filled Church Exhibit A. Here's why I've titled it that, is we are going through the book of Acts. We're taking a pretty fast pace. We're trying to hit the high water marks and understand just the broad contours of what God is doing in the church. Uh, what we saw in chapter one was that Jesus promised, hey, I'm going to send my spirit and you're going to be my witnesses, starting here and all the way to the ends of the earth. That was chapter one. Chapter two, the spirit came. Jesus was good to his word. Roy preached it last week. Spirit of God came. Now we're in chapter three, and we're going to see the first example, exhibit A, of what this spirit-empowered church looks like and can do in the world. And as we get into our chapter today and throughout our whole series, I just want to continue to remind us this is not just ancient history. This is our family history. This is our DNA. This is who we are as the bride of Christ, as the local church, and what Jesus was and is doing here, he is doing in our midst. And so we are seeing but a sort of a blueprint, a prototype, a pattern for what God is doing in our own generation in the church today. And so in particular, in the passage that we're going to look at today, I want to point out In the Spirit-filled church exhibit A, three things. And when the Spirit of God comes, he empowers us to see like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, and point to Jesus. Okay, that's where we're headed. Uh, So let's take it one at a time. The first observation I want us to see is that the Spirit of God allows us to see like Jesus. Let's look at the first four verses together. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Let me pause right there. My, uh, my favorite vehicle that I've ever owned in my life was a 1995 Jeep Wrangler. Any other Jeep owners, former Jeep owners in the room? When you own a Jeep, there's nothing like owning a Jeep, okay? Now, my 95 Jeep, I almost didn't get this Jeep. I had just graduated college. I was at 90th and Dodge. Uh, my car was going out. I needed something new. I had saved up cash, and right next to me pulls a white Jeep Wrangler with a for sale sign in the back. And I thought, well... Probably can't afford it. It's pretty cool, but I'll call anyway. Call, and uh, it was a steal of a deal. It was a 95. There were 32,000 miles on it, and the lady said, I'll take $5,000 for it. I said, I'll follow you home. We'll do this right now. And so I knew that it wouldn't last long, and so went directly there, called my parents, said, hey, I have money. Trust me. Can I borrow five grand for like a day? I just need, I don't have time to go to the bank. This will sell. Can you meet me with cash or a cashier's check? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Sure, give me the address. Okay. So I go. I test drive the Jeep. It is a cherry. I fall in love with the Jeep. I tell the lady, I will take this Jeep Wrangler. My mom's on the way with the money. We shake hands, and I think this is great. Nothing possibly can go wrong until I hear the ominous sound of Nickelback playing out of a pickup truck with oversized tires. And here comes these three cowboys with unfortunate tattoos pulling up. They too had seen the sign. They came up. They were three cowboys from Western Nebraska that were coming to the boats. They were headed to the casinos. And so they have cash in hand. They pull out, say, we don't need to test drive. How much do you want? Here's $5,000. The lady's like, well, this guy already bought it. So it's, uh, you know, it's already sold. And uh, he said, well, I have $5,100. 
I said, no, uh, I, I already bought it. It's just, I haven't given her the money yet. <laughs> He's seeing the vulnerability in this moment. He said, how about $5,500? I'm thinking, no, this could not be happening. At which point I start calculating my odds. I'm not very big, but I am scrappy. And when there's something that I want, I can get a little uh, wiry. And so I thought if I take out one cowboy in the jaw, unexpected, then I only need to fight two cowboys. Sarah was with me. We were engaged at the time. She's scrappy too. Don't let the petite frame fool you. I thought we're going we're gonna to drive away with this Jeep Wrangler, okay? No matter what it costs. And right as the seller is getting ready to waver, here comes my parents, cashier's check, gave it to them, got the title, peeled out of there. Victory never tasted so sweet. My 95 Jeep Wrangler. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. And uh, I, I was so bonded with that Jeep. One, because I almost died driving it. But two, when or buying it, you know when you drive a Jeep, you never forget you're driving a Jeep. You just, it's fun the entire time, smiling. And as I drove away, I noticed that everyone in other Jeeps were waving at me. Those of you who've had Jeeps, you know it's a Jeep culture thing. Jeeps wave to other Jeep drivers. And so I'm driving home doing this like I'm in a pageant or some sort of a parade the whole time. Like, why is everyone... And I realized there are so many Jeeps on the road. Like every third car, I'd never noticed it before, but all of a sudden, here's a Jeep, there's a Jeep, everywhere a Jeep, Jeep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone drives a Jeep. And it dawned on me that, you know, I'm sure that those Jeeps had been there before, but until I had this experience with one, I had never noticed what was right in front of my eyes the entire time. Well, I say that whole long, obnoxious story to say this. The same thing happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives us new eyes to see what was right in front of us the entire time that we maybe never even saw in the first place. Let me show you where I get this from the text. So this lame guy, he's laying at the, at the temple gate, the gate called Beautiful. Look at verse 2. How often was this man laid at the gate? daily, every day, his caretakers, loved ones, family, whomever, every day would take him to the gate and they would lay him down. Verse one says that Peter and John went to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer to pray. Now at this point, the early Christians had not separated from the temple tradition. These are still devout Jews who follow Jesus, which is to mean every single day at the ninth hour, they walk past this man to go to the temple to pray. We know that the disciples at this moment have been in Jerusalem for at least 60 days, two months. They came into Jerusalem at the triumphal, triumphal entry, clear back on Palm Sunday. They've been in Jerusalem ever since. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till the Spirit comes. So for two months, my point is for two months, they have walked right past this guy. Every day for two months, 60 days, the guy said, hey, can I bum a smoke? Five bucks, a bus pass. Do you have anything? Alms for the poor. Anything will help. For 60 days, they walked right on past. I do the same thing down on Saddle Creek because I drive to my office. It's the same guy every day. And it's like you see him, but you don't see him. But for Peter and John, they, they saw him this day. Something was different this day. They had been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And something was different on day 61 than on day 60. They suddenly had eyes to see an opportunity, a man right in front of them with a real need. When they were filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God gave them eyes to see like Jesus sees. And I want you to know the same thing is true for us today. When I became a Christian, when I was filled with the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, so many of my inclinations that my whole life had been inward. My tendency was to see myself, my needs, my desires, my goals, my aspirations. The Spirit of God started to help me to see the people around me. 
like Jesus sees them, to see the needs that people have, to see the opportunities to point people to Jesus. Jesus gives us, or the Spirit of God gives us eyes to see people like Jesus sees people. And I wonder, just by way of application, how many people we still walk by every single day that the Holy Spirit is trying to awaken our eyes to see. The annoying person in the cubicle at work. (laughs) The, the person in the dorm next to us, the family member that talks too much, the neighbor that's kind of quiet and keeps to themselves. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. In verse 4, it says that Peter looked at him. It says, and John did too. They set their gaze upon them and said, look at us. There's a moment that happens when you truly look at someone and see them. And there's a moment that happens when someone looks at you and you're not just a handshake and you're not just a high five and you're not just a person in a crowd, but they say, I see you and I want you to look at me. I want to engage with you. You feel loved in that moment. And that's what the Spirit of God is empowering us to do, to truly see people as they are and to enter in their story and to look at them and to see them say, look at me. I want to see you. Isn't this what Jesus Christ first did for us? Jesus Christ looked down from heaven at a broken and sin-filled world. He looked down at you and me in his eternality. He looked at us when we were, were, were nothing but dead in our sin, right? Scripture says that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So when Jesus first chose to look at us, he could have looked the other way. He could have enjoyed the comforts of heaven for all of eternity. There was nothing in him uh, that benefited him to come to this earth, but he saw us. He said, I see you. Look at me. I'm going to come down and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And we know the end of the story. He went to the cross to atone for our sins, to raise, to give us new life. And the song goes that while Jesus was on that cross, the Father turned his face away from the Son. The Father turned his face away from his Son. Why? So that he could look at you. He could see you in your need. And he could say, you are my son. You are my daughter. Jesus is your brother. Welcome to the family of God. That's the eyes of Jesus, to actually see people and move toward them. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God fills us. He gives us eyes to see people the way Jesus sees people. So the very first thing I would encourage you to do is pray, Holy Spirit of God, give me the eyes to see the people around me the way you see them. And he loves to answer that prayer because when we're filled with the Spirit, we have eyes to see like Jesus. Second observation from exhibit A is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. So we don't just see people. He actually gives us a Holy Spirit empowerment to serve them like Jesus. Look at, uh, again, starting in verse 4. It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is amazing. This is the best moment in this guy's life. 
He is an adult man at this point, and never in his life has he enjoyed the luxury of feeling his own body weight on his own feet. He has never been able to stand up. He has been lame since birth. He's never known the freedom and autonomy of saying, I'm here, I want to go there, I will move in my own mobility. His whole life he has been dependent on other people. And yet in this moment, verse 7, it says, immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Peter grabs him by the hand, he stands up and walks. As if walking is not enough, he is leaping and he is jumping. He is in the temple making noise like Chris Haruska on an Easter Sunday, shouting in church, Jesus healed me. I am alive. Now, let me, let me point out a few things about healing in particular, and then I want to press this into our church family. Uh, let me say this. As we examine a literal physical healing, I, I need to, to say this. We absolutely believe that God can and does heal people even to this day. Okay? In, in the gospel accounts, we see more than 25 explicit detailed healings that Jesus does. We have several more verses that just say, and many more came to him and were healed. So we don't actually have a numerical accounting, but we do know that physical healing was a huge part of Jesus's earthly ministry. Furthermore, this morning in chapter three, we see the first of four explicit detailed healings of the New Testament church after Jesus ascended and sent his Holy Spirit. And there are many other verses that also say more generically, and many sick and lame were brought to them and they were healed. Furthermore, I have yet to read the Bible verse that says, and after this time, God chose to quit healing people, right? So, so we absolutely believe that God can and does on occasion physically heal people. Uh, now, the, uh, in other words, uh, if we didn't believe that, why would we pray for people who were sick, right? When my kids are sick, guess what? I pray for them and then I call the doctor. When someone in our church family is sick, I pray for them and then I call them. We pray for people. So the natural question comes to our minds. Can I just state the obvious? Why then does it seem that we don't see the volume and frequency of miraculous healings today, 2019, that we did in the Gospels and in the book of Acts? Well, the answer comes with just good hermeneutics, good Bible study, okay? Reading the Bible, we understand the best answer is found in understanding the primary purpose of miracles in the New Testament, Yes, God has compassion on his children. Yes, God loves to give good gifts. But the primary reason for miracles, the vast majority of healings in the New Testament, are to serve to validate the identity of Jesus and the power of his gospel. And so the miracle almost always sets up a message. The sign almost always sets up a sermon. And that's exactly what happens in today's text. Yes, it's amazingly miraculous that this man who couldn't walk now is able to walk. We rejoice in that. We give God glory to that. But guess what? That guy later died physically. The greater miracle happens right after the healing. It says that a great crowd gathered together. Now that there's attention, what does Peter do? He stands up. He boldly proclaims the gospel message. And it says that 2,000 people placed their faith in Jesus and got saved that day. So what's the greater miracle? The salvation of 2,000 people. We rejoice in the physical healing, but the physical and temporal healing only laid the groundwork and paved the way for the greater eternal and spiritual healing of 2,000 people that you and I will meet in glory when we see Jesus face to face. And so, yes, we believe God absolutely heals 
And yet we realize that his signs and miracles are to pave the way for the gospel. And I believe that at this time, this was a a very critical moment in the history of redemption. The spirit of God has just come. The church is just rolling out. And God gave a supernatural um, uh, density of healing miracles to validate that the church is his chosen bride. And the, the gospel is true and in power. So very practically to respond, I do want to say, we can and will continue to pray for healing. In fact, after this gathering, I'm going to go to the back. There's going to be a prayer team in the back. If you have a physical ailment of any kind, we would love to just ask the Father, Father, would you be kind enough to heal this person? We want to continue to do that, and we would love to pray with you and for you that God would bring healing. But I want to show you one other bit of good news. Maybe God will heal, maybe he won't, but there, there's something that all of us can take as good news from this section, and that is this. We all have something to offer the mission of God. The Spirit of God does empower all of us to serve like Jesus. In fact, look at verse 6. I think it captures the heart of every Spirit-filled Christian. It says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. So if you've ever wondered, well, How does the Spirit of God empower me to serve other people like Jesus? Well, I think we can take verse 6 and just use it as a template and fill in the blank. Silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, well, what do I have? I freely give to you to point you to Jesus Christ. Um, I think we need to know what we have and what we don't have. And so you might say, hey, silver and gold, I have none. But you know what? I have the gift of encouragement. God has given me a way with words that really boost people in their faith, encourage them along their walk, encourage them in their discipleship. So you might say, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have is I'm going to speak a timely word. I'm going to be intentional with my word gift to add value and point people to Jesus Christ. Or you might say, actually, I have silver and gold. (laughs) I've done well. I have resources. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of other talents, but I know how to make money and I have a lot of it. And so I'm going to give it generously to gospel ministry to further the work of the gospel in the local church. You might say, well, no, silver and gold I don't have, but I, I do have time. I do have time and I will give you my time freely to help point you to Jesus and continue his ministry and mission in this world. I think of uh, a man who had a great influence on me, one of the first adult men to actually sit down and disciple me. His name was Dick Rockenbach. And uh, silver and gold, he didn't have a ton of. He was a carpenter by trade. I worked with him as an apprentice carpenter for one summer. And uh, he he gave me silver and gold, my little paycheck, you know, $8 an hour or whatever it was, but something much more valuable. He gave me his time. And as a new Christian, I was 18 at the time. I'm just trying to figure out up from down. How do you walk from, with God? There's so many pages here. How do you hear from Jesus? How do you walk in repentance and faith? How do you have a quiet time? How do you share your faith? And he opened up his pantry and his kitchen table and his time. And he sat with me and he walked with me through what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He gave me his time. And God used that time to set a foundation for my walk with God and my ministry that I still use to this day. And so I would ask you, what do you have? You have something. God has invited you into his mission to be used for his glory to further the mission. Do you have silver and gold? Do you have time? Do you work with kids? Uh, How would you be used by God for his glory? When we're filled with the spirit of God, he gives us eyes to see people. He gives us the ability to serve people like Jesus. Here's the third and final observation I want to point out from exhibit A. The spirit empowers us to point to Jesus. 
let me show you this. I love what happens in our text, starting uh, in verse 9. This man has just been healed, and now watch what happens. He's leaping, jumping down to the temple. Verse 10, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When he, or while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them at the portico called Solomon. So picture a huge gathering now. There's a huge crowd around. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And now skip down to verse 16. He says, in his name... By faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is a black belt in Jesus judo. The, MML, the, the, the martial art of, of judo works on this principle that you take forces that are coming towards you and you redirect them. It's not just about opposing forces, it's about redirecting forces. And that's exactly what Peter does in this moment. There's a lot of attention coming toward him. There's a lot of force coming at him. It says the people are filled with amazement and wonder. They are staring at Peter and they are staring at John and this will be a critical moment for them. They've just performed a miracle. There's a huge crowd. They have what we call a platform, a fan base. Will Peter and John, what will they do with it? Will they write a book? They've got a big marketable congregation now. They could write the book and make the millions and and get the jet airplane. Will they build their brand and, and, and go on a celebrity speaking tour? Will they post their healings to Instagram to get even more likes and become an influencer and leverage this thing for their momentum? Nope, nope, nope. What do they do? They redirect all the attention where? To Jesus. I love Peter's question in 12. He's like, why are you guys looking at us? <laughs> this whole crowd's here. Why are you looking at us as though by our own power or piety we did? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look upon Jesus. You know what a spirit-filled Christian looks like? Someone who's constantly pointing to Jesus. Someone who has centered their life on Jesus. You know what a spirit-filled church looks like? It's a church that's in love with Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. If you meet someone that says, hi, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Look at all my signs. Look at all my wonders. Look at my white suit. And for $69.99, you can have my Holy Spirit hanky, and it will bring anointing and healing to your household too. And you can give to my jet fund. No, 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 no. If you meet someone that says, look at my spirit-filled church, signs and wonders. Aren't we amazing? Look at our church. Look at what we're doing. No, 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 no. You know what the flesh does? The flesh absorbs glory. The flesh absorbs attention. The, the flesh absorbs um, 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 people's praise. You know what the Spirit of God deflects it like a mirror? Jesus judo. Oh, is there some attention here? It's because of him. Has God done something wonderful here? It's because of Jesus. It wouldn't be our name. It wouldn't be our brand. It wouldn't be our church. It wouldn't be this movement. Would we point all eyes and attention to Jesus Christ? And if I could just affirm you, I'm a little sentimental because I'm going on a little sabbatical after this. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss these people. Uh, I'm going to probably just come every week anyway. Anyway, when I think about you guys, I think about a Jesus judo church. As I think about the story that we've gotten to see Jesus write over the last seven years, as I think about your stories and your lives and this family and the cool thing that God has done. When I see you guys, I think of black belt ninja, Jesus, judo, all-stars. All you do is point people to Jesus. 
Some of you guys open up your home and leverage your life and make disciples so that Jesus will be famous. Some of you give generously and sacrificially, foregoing vacations and luxuries. Why? So you can invest in the mission of God and point people to Jesus. Some of you um, invest by making disciples of kids and students. Why? To point the next generation to Jesus. Like a mirror pointing all the attention, all the affection onto Jesus. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a Jesus judo church. And I hope that in the next 10 years, when there's 40,000 people that have met Jesus through this thing and 40 new churches and whatever God would allow us to, even on that day, it would still be what? All about Jesus. A movement that Jesus did, just like he did in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God came, filled up his people, and empowered them to see like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, and point all the glory to Jesus. Now, to land the plane, it's always a little awkward when you're preaching about the Holy Spirit and the fruit that he wants to bring to bear on our lives. And so what I don't want to do is say, okay, how do we see like Jesus? Well, here's six tips to be a little bit more Jesus-like in the way that you view people. You know, here's how you can serve like Jesus. That's important. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God. But I think our, our first and most earnest and most sincere plea needs to be a plea of prayer for the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work in us. I don't know about you, but I cannot make my heart care about other human beings. (laughs) There are times that I'm carnal and selfish and I know it and I can't steer my heart. And so I can try trips and I tricks and I can try self-improvement strategies. But the thing I need in that moment is to pause, say, Spirit of God, I'm sensing more of me than you in my heart. Would you come and fill me afresh? God, would you come and give me your eyes to see people? There are times when I'm inward and selfish with my time, and uh, that's most days, just ask my wife. (laughs) And and it's like, man, I I can't make myself serve people. I need the Spirit of God to come. And there are times when when I want glory, I want praise, I want someone to notice, man, you've worked really hard. You know what I need in that moment, the Spirit of God to come say, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't all the glory and praise go to him? And so I want to pray that for you guys, if that's okay. I want to pray that for me, and I want to pray that for our church family. So let's end by just praying that now. Jesus, we are in awe of you and in this story. What an amazing scene. This man uh, healed, lame from birth, and yet all the glory, praise, adoration, and attention goes to you. And God, we are crying out for a fresh experience of this in our day. God, we pray that church would not just be seen as an institution where we can separate from the culture and have some nice Christian kids for our, uh, uh, for our kids to play with, but no, no, would we be the, the spirit-filled missional movement multipl- multiplication force in our generation for the gospel to go forth, for signs and wonders to happen, for Jesus to be made famous and for his church to be built up. And so, God, I pray for our hearts that you would humble us once again. And in this next season of ministry of our church family, of my own ministry, uh, God, that our hearts would be even more humble than we've ever been before. Oh, God, I pray for a, a fresh encounter of your Holy Spirit, like that very first time, that you would shape our hearts to look more like Jesus, and you would empower us to serve more like Jesus, that Jesus, you, would get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.